Welcome to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce with Cindy Stibbard. Cindy is ready to have those candid and unfiltered conversations so you know how to move forward in your marriage. You'll hear inspiring and insightful discussions surrounding this taboo subject to help you feel confident in your decision. Now, here's your host, Cindy Stibbard. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Divorce Redefined. I'm your host, Cindy Stibbard. And if you have been following along, you will have noticed a few changes that are happening to my image, to my branding, to my messaging, as I am morphing or rebirthing myself from Divorce Redefined to Cindy Stibbard, the strength to thrive in life love, loss, and divorce. So yes, I'm still supporting you through this contemplation of divorce phase, through the process of it, even out the other side, but there's going to be so much more involved in how I can support you and bringing you lots of different guests to really support you wherever you are on your journey. Now, you know that I do this podcast free of sponsorship so that I can do this out of the kindness of my heart so that I can bring as much value to you as possible and these amazing guests that I have that I am so incredibly grateful and privileged to be able to sit down with and have these really deep, vulnerable conversations. And part of that, I really ask you to do one thing for this podcast. And that is if you go over and rate and follow the show, give us a five-star rating. That just really helps make sure that we can get in front of all of those who need to hear us the most, because that's really what this is about, is supporting all of you out there, no matter what stage of life you're at. My goal and purpose of this podcast is to provide you with as much information, education, inspiration, and empowerment so you can make the best decisions for you whatever those may be. So today I'm so excited because I have an incredible guest on the show with me today that I have been looking up to for years and I wanted to welcome her to the show. Welcome Jillian Tarecki. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your kind words and for having me. Oh my gosh. Jillian, this is such an honor because I think when I first started following you, you might've had like 45,000 followers and now you have like what? 1.1 million <laughs> girl. 1.4, but who's counting? 1.4. <laughs> Look Same at you. Yeah, I know it's, it's a lot of growth. Yeah. Incredible. And just the way that you offer up such authentic advice that so many of us resonate with is what I just love about you that you just come straight to this topic of relationships with no BS approach that a lot of us really need to hear. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's for sure. We do. And thank you for being a follower since, you know, I had 45,000. I really appreciate that. Well, I'm there now. So I'm I'm just hoping that, you know, I'll be you one day (laughs) when I grow up. (laughs) Um, Yeah, well, no, Uh, but thank you. And I think today I really wanted to get into, you know, obviously relationships is a big, a big topic, but I wanted to touch a little bit on you and your story and how you got into this work that you do so amazingly with, with couples and relationships and teaching and writing, because you do have such a way with really getting to the heart of how people feel and it starts somewhere. And I'd love to hear how it started for you. Yeah. Well, it started for me um, many, many years ago, like um, over 25 years ago when I wanted to explore the mind-body connection more. And I've always been a very active person, but I was very 
inexplicably drawn to yoga. And I started practicing yoga. And as soon as I did, it was it was immediate. I mean, there are people and people who practice yoga know this. There are people who go to a yoga class once in a while. And then there are those who practice yoga. And there's a difference because Mm -hmm. if you're bitten by the yoga bug, you don't you're not practicing once in a while. You're practicing at least five days a week in some capacity. And so that happened to me. And very soon after practicing it, I just knew that I had to teach it. So um, I got my did my teacher training, started teaching it, and was teaching at um, one of the best studios in New York City. And I also worked individually with people. Um, I worked one on one with people. I worked one on one with couples and families. I worked on I worked with people on all sorts of injuries and pain, uh, physical injuries and pain, but. Um, I also, as a teacher of yoga, really what you're doing is helping people to heal their emotional pain. And that Mm. might be manifested in their shoulder or in their lower back or in their hamstring. But at the end of the day, it's about strengthening the relationship we have with ourselves. Um, And that is what what yoga teaches. And so um, I taught that and build a a very large following doing that. And um, it was my passion. And I would say about, I don't know, six, seven years into teaching, I started feeling a little antsy again. And it wasn't like, I didn't want it's, I never had this thought, I want to stop teaching. It was like, where am I going to take this? Like the ceiling was feeling very low. Mm -hmm. And um, I was feeling a bit I needed, I needed more. I just didn't know what that was, but I also wanted to get married. I wanted to have kids. Mm -hmm. So um, I ended up meeting the man who would become my ex-husband, but Mm -hmm. first he was going to become my husband and uh, we got married and it was a very painful marriage. It was a short marriage, only two years. And it was extremely painful and I did not see that coming. Mm-hmm. And so, and then the, the way that it ended was extremely traumatic and there were other traumatic things going on in my life. And that ended such as the death of my mother, mm-hmm. um, first her, her terminal diagnosis and then the death and then her death. Um, and so I went into a, my life fell apart just to be perfectly honest, like completely yeah. and utterly fell apart. And, um, it was, it was a catastrophe. It was an emotional catastrophe. So I entered a dark night of the soul. And I think that what is the case for most people when they, when they get to hell and they, Mm -hmm. and that dark night of the soul is that really becomes about survival. Mm -hmm. And it's about figuring out how you're going to claw your way out of that hole. And so what I became obsessed with was the end of my marriage. I became obsessed with the fact that that did not work. And I could not, and I had to figure it out. I had to figure that out. And I also had to figure out how to actually feel better. Mm-hmm. So, and in that journey of trying to feel better so that I didn't, um, you know, completely disengage from life, I um, started listening to podcasts. I started listening to Tony Robbins. I started, um, I started working with a coach and I poured myself into my teaching and I became obsessed with this question of what makes a relationship actually work completely obsessed with that. It became the question that defined my existence. 
And in my pursuit of trying to understand that, in addition to trying to feel better Mm -hmm. and to survive this um, catastrophe in my life, I learned a lot. And one of the things that I learned was that once again, like I felt that calling to teach yoga, this, I felt this calling to, to help people, um, Mm -hmm. Get be better in their relationships, help them with their love lives, starting with the relationship they have with themselves. And um, the rest is history. I mean, I've devoted my life to this for the last 10 years of my life mm-hmm. um, and invested uh, a lot of time, a lot of money. I sacrificed, um, I always, I really developed my personal relationships, but I sacrificed romantic relationships because I didn't want to be distracted at all from this. Mm-hmm. And um, here I am today. Wow. Wow. I really appreciate you sharing that story because that vulnerability piece and that experience going through a relationship, divorce, even that didn't work out and how much we learn from that, regardless of which side of the relationship we're on, whether we're the ones that that leave or, you know, we're the ones that that get left. It's such an opportunity for that personal growth. And I love that you you did take that path to figure yourself out and really look at things from a different perspective. You have to, I mean, you don't have to, Mm -hmm. but if you want to break patterns, if you want to feel better, if you want to find meaning in life again, and you don't want to be spit out on the other side of that, um, hate, you know, hating men or hating women and feeling like, and just, you know, I don't know, victimized by your circumstances. Yeah. Figure out a way to um, transform. And that's what I help people do. I love that. Because we do have a choice. You're right. You can either choose to take that victim path. And, you know, Mm -hmm. this has happened to me. And I don't know how to get past it. And I'm going to hold this resentment over men or over my ex-husband or over whatever it is and not see your role, whatever, however small it could be in the relationship, instead of using it to really be a an opportunity to project yourself into something new and grow and be different. Because I do believe even though, I mean, I was the one that did leave my marriage after five years of contemplating it. I do know that my role was significant in how it broke down over time, mm-hmm. you know, and I think when we can take that ownership and accountability, which I don't re- think a lot of people realize that freedom that comes with being able to say, yeah, you know, I, I messed up. I did. And I'm going to now take that and learn from it and grow. It's this huge weight that lifts from your shoulders that I don't think people realize. Yeah, no, responsibility is power. And look, you know, the reality is that there might be some people who are listening to this podcast today saying, well, what if, you know, what if my spouse was violent towards me? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I was a victim. Yeah, you certainly were. Mm -hmm. Then I would say, you know, I went through, um, I was in a relationship once in my 20s. um, And I've had some really lovely relationships. I'm I'm not someone with, um, I'm someone with a very interesting relationship past, but it's not, it's not like it's all toxic. I've had some really lovely, lovely relationships, really healthy. Um, but I did have a relationship in my twenties where I was abused, um, verbally, physically, all of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, uh, you know, if you are someone who's recovering from that, you have to learn with help how to become the person who would never allow that again, how to become the person who would never be attracted to someone who, who has those traits. Yes. And so there's always a lesson. 
There's yeah, always- there always is. And it starts yeah. with looking at yourself. Absolutely. Always. Does. Which is the hardest yeah. part because no, we don't want to look at ourselves. <laughs> no, we don't. It's much easier to win. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, in my area of work, I, you know, in um, working with people going through divorce, I do work with such a big population of those who are contemplating. And I think that's the one thing that we're an area where people get really stuck. I mean, most, the, I think the statistics are that most people spend an average of two years, like minimum of just thinking about leaving a relationship before they actually do anything about it. And I mean, I've worked with people who spend years in this contemplation phase and still are there. So, you know, that should I stay or should I go question is one of the hardest things because everything changes after that. And I'm sure you have seen lots of people in this predicament as well. And what are, what are your thoughts on that question? so tough and it's such a tough question to answer should I stay or should I go without context because Mm -hmm. look there are people who stay too long Mm -hmm. in the wrong relationships in the wrong marriages and then there are people who leave too quickly yeah and so it's it's um it's so it's so difficult I would say that um you know, if someone's contemplating leaving a relationship over five years it probably means you should leave it I mean you know but I, I do think that um, we do, ha- speaking of accountability, that if, if this is a relationship that has um, you've invested a lot in, there's no abuse, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's just not it's just not living up to what you because here's the thing. A lot of people, when they when they start to begin to contemplate whether or not they should leave their relationship, their long term partnership really what's happening is that there that relationship is not living up to the expectations mm-hmm. of the person right so then so you can so the first step is like okay this is not living up to the expectations that i had why and you know what are those expectations and where how can you uh create change You know, how can you, where do you have to change to maybe elevate this relationship to meet um, your new expectations? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and sometimes it's just a matter of we got married 20 years ago and now we're two completely different people. So there's so many different circumstances. So it's very hard. But I do think that, um, you know, in general, one has to ask themselves, why, why are you questioning this marriage or this relationship? Why is this not good enough? And then the follow-up question is, how have I contributed to the mm. state of my relationship being right. what it is? And then after that is, what, how, you know, what can I do differently? Because mm-hmm. there is that two-way street. Yes. So, you know, I think that that's... Um, I think that's something worthwhile asking oneself. Yeah, you really do have to start to look at yourself, even in that hard situation. There's so many of us that look outside, you know, it's all my spouse's fault. It's all my partner's fault that we've got here, you know, and it, it it partly is, yes, it is, but it's also partly yours. You know, we're responsible for our side of the street. Absolutely. And look, you know, it's not that it's necessarily 50 50, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes one person really does corrupt the relationship more than the other. But 
in my years of working with couples, what I have found is that it is more even <laughs> than mm-hmm. you might think. Of course, there are cases where it's not, but usually it's just two people um, with their unprocessed pain and their projections and their old stuff, and yeah. they don't know how to communicate. Yes. Oh, there's that. There's that keyword communication, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, that's what it is. Yeah. When, um, when we do look at couples breaking down and you look at the, the work of the Gottmans and they can point out those four yeah. horsemen of the apocalypse, you know, all of the years that you've worked with couples, what are the most defining factors that stand out for you in terms of what breaks down relationships the most? Well, definitely um, it's communication. And the lack of communication leads to resentment. Mm-hmm. And then resentment, see, the thing is that we get, um, so there's there's a lack of communication and then there's stress. So, and that's, it's dealing with our personal stress or not dealing with it. And then what happens is that when we, when we're, because um, stress is a part of life, but if we're consistently in these stressful states, then what happens? It's like when you're stressed out and you just imagine this, when you're stressed out, do you see the world clearly? Mm, Right. Do you see yourself clearly? Like, do you see, can you see the sun through the clouds? No. Everything, when we're stressed, we're looking through, we're looking at the world, including our relationship through the filter of our stress. And it's in that state that we start to create a bunch of meanings and stories And all of a sudden we're creating meetings and stories about our partner and we are slowly turning them into our enemy. Mm. And um, instead of realizing, oh, it's me. Like as Taylor Swift would say, the problem is actually me. (laughs) And so, you know, so that's what happens. And then you throw in just breakdowns in communication and, um, yeah. And then, you know, as some people are just very neurotic in their relationships. They get very, very anxious, very nervous. They start to create stories. They, they're living inside their heads um, and they are not allowing themselves to just enjoy the relationship. There's so much nuance, but yeah. I would say stress and, and communication breakdown. These are the two things. Are the big things. Mm, yeah. hundred percent. And when a couple can notice that those are happening, you know, and they can, they can identify what are some things that you've taught people to do that can start to turn this around? Cause I know that it's a process it's a, it's a, it's an investment in, in each yeah. other to have to do that. It's not going to be overnight. But what are no, some, I, yeah, small things they can do. Yeah. So the first thing is always question the story you're telling yourself about mm-hmm. yourself. Any story that is um, making you angry or sad, always question it. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that, you know, someone's treating you badly and you question that. So that's, that's not the same thing as that. It's just like, it's, you're stressed out. You're creating a story about the person you love. I wish they did more of this. They never do this. They always do that. And then you're not, so always question those thoughts. Um, So that's number one. And really learning how to regulate your emotions. So what I mean by that is, when you are starting to like, if you're in an argument there, I can't stress enough how incredible, like it is superpower behavior to be able to say, 
I'm overwhelmed right now and I'm afraid that I'm going to say something that I'm going to really regret. So I'm just going to take a minute mm. to slow down and to calm down. And then I promise I'm going to come back and we can t- and we can continue this conversation. Right. Which is something we don't do in that heat of the moment, right? It's something that we don't do, but it's also something that a lot of people don't allow their partner partner to do. Ah, uh, They'll True. say, don't leave, don't, you know, they'll block the, the door, so to speak. And that's a very big mistake. You should never do that. Right. So don't walk away. <laughs> don't abandon don't, don't me in this away. moment. Yeah. You can't leave here. We need to talk about this right now. That's very bad. Very, very yes. bad. You have to regulate your anxiety in that moment and when, and become more attuned and, and reward. You see, Whenever we're, we can take responsibility and we can acknowledge that we are not in an optimal state to be able to have a mature conversation, we have to reward that in our partner. Mm-hmm. We have to reward the fact that they have that they have the self awareness to be able to to identify that they're not in a good state, and we have to also reward the fact that they have the maturity to communicate that. Yes. Oh, I love that. Love that is allowing them permission to take that space because that is what's going to bring you back to repair. Absolutely. Very, very important. But I think making sure you you come back to the conversation, you know, not those breaks that never then end up to anything. There's always, there's always a, a promise of return. Look, being in a relationship means that you're, that you have to fight for that relationship. Mm-hmm. And fighting for the relationship means you make it a priority, you make connection a priority, and you do whatever it takes to make sure that 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 your relationship um, thrives. Yes. And that's communication, that means play and playfulness, that means having the hard conversation, that means co- communicating when you need space, but then promising coming back, all of it. Mm-hmm. And we don't learn these things early on. And especially since we've been patterned different ways as we were raised, we both come as sort of two evolving and sometimes broken people to a, yes. a situation and almost use each other as a band-aid to fix all those issues that we had. But then Absolutely. but then things come out over time, our own patterns. Yeah, it never works. That never works. No. It never works. I know. And I think sometimes too, I work with a lot of people who get to this place where, you know, my, my spouse is, you know, they're really nice. We're good friends. There's nothing wrong with them. Like they haven't cheated. They don't, they don't beat me, but I just don't feel like this is connected. We're not really, maybe they're not really intimate anymore, or they don't feel that this partnership is, is right anymore. And so how well, do you I would, approach that? Yeah. Yeah. I would say that actually what they feel is too much of the partnership mm-hmm. and not enough of the passion. Oh, wow. And they don't feel because that, because relationships really, end. I've said this before, because of a lack of love, they end because of a lack of connection. Yes. And, and then, and it's, you know, instead it's feeling more like a transaction like they're doing maybe the partnership of the relationship really well. Maybe they're talking about the kids really well. Maybe they're, you know, dealing with the household chores really well. Maybe they're even talking about money really well, but they don't feel that attract. When people say that what's happening is they don't feel that attraction anymore. They don't Mm -hmm. feel that sexual connection anymore, sensual connection. 
And so the work is trying to figure out what's standing in the way of the connection and trying to get them reconnected again. And um, a lot of times that means stepping out of your routines. Uh, that's the stress. That's the stress piece that comes in. You know, you get right. two people who are chronically stressed. Of course, they're not going to be connected. It's as the Gottmans would say, it's learning how to turn towards each other. So it's not constantly being on your phone yeah. every time you're in the presence with them. It's basically about stop taking each other for granted. Yeah. And I think real trying to rebuild that that chemistry that you have. Do you think that it's rebuildable when people say that they've, you know, fallen out of love? I don't have that passion anymore for my partner. It depends. I think yeah. that if it was first, if it was ever there, there's a chance. If it was yeah. never there, there's no chance. Um, I think that some people it gets to the point of no return where like you you just feel like you're with your brother or your sister. And that's then you're never, it's never going to come back. It really isn't going to come back from that. But if you're just, but if it's not at that point yet, but you're just feeling disconnected, there are ways. And you basically have to start doing the things that you did in the beginning of the relationship now. Right. Because I think we forget like, that, right? We're we like, oh, wow, that. we're married. So, okay, we're good. <laughs> yeah, you have to, exactly. And it's so not true. You have to start doing it. Usually when, when the, when that aliveness is missing from the relationship, usually it points to a feeling of aliveness that's missing within ourselves. Like we feel disconnected mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. the things that make us feel that make, that give, that makes our blood pump hard, you know, like we feel disconnected yes. from the things that like inspire us and light us up. And so, you know, as the monotony takes over our individual lives, it will take over the marriage. Yes, it really will. And not, I think, and not giving it that one-on-one -on -one time. I think sometimes relationships can get to this point where we, they have such a great time with other people. So they continue to fill it with social interactions, with family members. Like there's always someone else in the mix and yeah. are rarely spending time with just the two of them. That's very true. That's the whole thing. You know, you need your date nights. You need, yeah. And you need to think a bit deeper than that. When I see people, sometimes they're like, well, we never spend time together. In fact, I don't really like being alone with them. I think that's a bit of a red flag. Yes, <laughs> it is very much so. Yeah. I'd want to know more about that for sure. Yeah. Or just, you know, time and, and, and filling it with other people is almost to me like, um, a coping mechanism. You're distracting yeah. yourself from something in yourself or your partner that you don't yeah. really enjoy. Yes. Um, you know, I wanted to also get into a little bit about being independent. Now, my story, and I'll just share this transparently as I've shared with all of my of my followers too, is when I ended my marriage, I ended it for someone else. And, I, and so mm -hmm. it was not, not ideal. Don't recommend it. Not a good way to do it. Um, and so over time, you know, I never, I was never single. I went from relationships in high school to long-term relationships. I was always a long-term relationship girl mm -hmm. to, you know, a relationship and then into the relationship with my ex-husband and lasted for, for 22 years and then overlapped with my former relationship for five and a half. Mm -hmm. And five months ago, he passed away and the first thing that I felt Wait, in my your body, your ex-husband passed away, or your my ex-partner post-divorce. Ex 
Yeah. And were you with him when he passed away? Like, were you still yes. in a relationship with him? Yes. Yeah, very much. Oh, it, yeah. And he passed away how long ago? Five months. Five months oh, ago. Wow. I'm so sorry to hear that. Thank you. Thank you. It's unexpected. We don't know why. Um, he was 41, um, but he was very fit and he was training for bodybuilding competition. 41. Oh my God, so young. I know. So young. And there's just no real, no real explanation. He had some heart things that were going on the week before, which were abnormal, but we just sort of chalked it up to this is a hard prep. What you're you're a professional athlete, like this happens sometimes, all the things, you know. And you don't expect death to come that quickly. And so when he passed, you know, I feel like I'm still, I'm always up and down. I think griefing is one of those things I'm going to carry with me forever. But I think one of the first things I felt, which sometimes I feel guilty saying out loud, is that I was officially single for the first time in my life. And that scared the crap out of me. And I thought, oh my God, like, how does this work? I haven't been single. I don't know how to be single. I don't even know what that feels like. Not that we lived together. We were very much like doing our relationship in this new way because I did not want to jump into a married like relationship again after divorce. So we did the whole living apart together, which I actually really enjoyed. But um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that whole fear of being alone and thinking, oh my God, am I going to be alone forever? Is this, is, is this, is this all that I have? I think when you're divorced, there's these two, two different sort of mindsets and expectations. When you get divorced or someone leaves you, I feel like people quickly fill that spot with, with dating. Let's just get back out in the world. Let's like, you know, get back in the game. You still got it. And let's just fill that gap and, and cure that heartbreak with someone else. Before you really even had a chance to breathe, like, how did this happen to me? And what do I need to look at in myself? Yes. And then when you grieve the loss of someone in death, it's like everyone expects you to be like, oh, oh hold on. Like, you are you can't date yet. You got to wait. You got to grieve this person. Like, you really have to take your time to heal. Whereas they're very similar in terms of experiences. They're both mm-hmm. losses, really largely, yes. especially yes. if you're the one who was who was left behind. And I know in one case, maybe the relationship wasn't really working anyways, you know, in in a divorce situation. And so that's the thing. Whereas in in loss, it could have been working beautifully. But I'd love to hear your opinion on spending time on your own to really heal, because I think so many people quickly jump into something else. And when when my partner, Mike, did pass away, I remember my my son looked at me and he's like three months in, he's like, well, mom, like, are you going to date again? And I'm like, dude, give me a beat. Okay. It's been like three months. I realized that moment that my kids had never really seen either myself or their dad single. And Mm -hmm. I thought, oh, this is, this is maybe my assignment. This is part of it. I need to show them not only for them, but for me that I can do this and I can do this by myself and I can heal and I can grow and I can develop that relationship with me that I have literally never developed think my whole in my whole life. Well, he just, and he just wants to see your son wants to see you mommy happy. Yeah. Fair enough. That's the most important thing. But they think that being happy means being in a relationship. (laughs) Well, they're not wrong, but they're not hundred percent right either. Right. It's not totally wrong. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, um, huh. So uh, here's the thing. I, I think that similarly to their, to the, 
to the example of um, whether you should stay or go, there are people who stay too long and there are people who uh, leave to their relationships too soon. I think that there are people who um, spend too long grieving mm-hmm. the loss of their relationship. Um, and there are people who jump from relationship to relationship. Here's the thing about jumping from relationship to relationship. You're just going to repeat the patterns, but with a different person. Yeah. But let's just say you didn't have a big pattern that you have to break. Let's just say your partner died Mm -hmm. or your relationship was lovely, but it just ran its course. I think that taking the time after a relationship ends to self-reflect is very important. How long is very dependent on the person. Mm-hmm. I think that if it was a toxic, unhealthy relationship, abusive, um, you need a minute and you need a long ass minute. You right. need a timeout. You need a timeout to figure this out. Um, I think that... That's different than someone who is stuck in the sadness stage of grieving. And it's been a year and it's been Mm -hmm. a while and it's like, okay, it's time to now put yourself out there again. Right. So I think that some people need the fire underneath their bum to get out there again. And I think some people need to take the time. Either way, when a relationship ends, regardless of the nature of the relationship, you need some time to process and self-reflect. I just can't tell you how long because I think it depends, again, on the person. And I think it depends on the circumstance. But self-reflection post-relationship is so important. Yeah. So, so important. And if you're, and you said you're someone who's never been alone. And mm-hmm. so you have to listen to your intuition. If it feels like this is somehow there's a calling inside of you that says i you know having this time to not be someone's wife or to not be someone's girlfriend to not be someone's partner feels like it's the right thing for me spiritually then follow that yeah yeah i love that advice because i also think too you have to be able to have the time the willingness the energy to commit to a relationship. You know, it doesn't just happen and oh here like now you're dating and you're in a relationship with someone. You have to no. know that if I'm going to open the door to someone else regardless of of the situation, I need to be able to invest in this. I need to be able yes. to give it time. I need to be yes. able to fully be at my best and in, in, in attention. You might not be fully healed. I get it. Who we I don't think any of us are, <laughs> you know. No. No. But but we can get into a relationship knowing here's where here's where I stand here here's my, here's my yes. where my boundaries are here's what I've been working on in myself and what I identify and here's how I show up more as as an independent me I think even this last 5 months being single so to speak widowed I don't even know what I call myself is mm. this massive time of reflection where I realize and I think a lot of people who follow the same path that I want to bring someone totally new to someone else, you know, not the same even version of myself as I brought to, to Mike, who was my partner who passed away, but to just really work on, okay, what was not potentially working in our relationship or in myself that now I recognize 
and what could I bring to someone to someone new? But it's it it's that. But it's also this exciting piece of I get to you know yes. I get to take this time and really invest into me, which then ter- pivots. It pivots that piece of initial loneliness to almost this calm solitude, you know, appreciation for like, oh, mm-hmm. I can be with myself. And I'm actually very comfortable with that because I think a lot of people don't know themselves very well at all enough to yes. spend time on their own. And I think being able to be alone is very, very important. I really do. Cause I think that people who um, really struggle to be alone, they are the ones who have a greater likelihood of choosing the wrong partners because they're trying to not be alone. So they're not patient. So I think that, um, I think it's a very strong, and it really builds mental and emotional strength to know how to be alone. Yeah. Yeah, no it does. Question. I mean, we're not going to all move away and be a monk, but we definitely no, like Jay not... Shetty or anything. But <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not about yeah. that. That's very different. It's just about you don't have to always be in a relationship. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And when we look at also two relationships, where you stand in terms of separateness in a relationship? Because I know that so many of us can be so we start to become so codependent. Our partner becomes our best friend. They become the person that we do everything with. We tell everything to. They're literally like meshed in our lives so much. And is that healthy? I don't see that as codependence. I think codependence is a word that's very, very overused. And I think it's, I think it's incredibly problematic. Um, I would, I think it's great to be in a relationship with your best friend where you tell everything. I mean, you don't have to, Mm -hmm. but I would never pathologize that. I think that um, what's important is that um, you're not making the other person responsible for your happiness. That's Mm. really important that you know how to make yourself happy and that you don't have an unconscious or conscious expectation that your partner has to be a certain way in order for you to feel okay. That's the codependency. Um, Every couple is different. Look, there are some couples who can live together and work together and they're thriving. That is my worst nightmare. But so, (laughs) right. So, so it really depends on the couple. I think that that is actually one of the things that every couple needs to discuss, which is their comfort level. And this is something that they're going to have to discuss over, over the many years that they stay together. If they stay together for many years, it's just that negotiation and that understanding of how much togetherness is working for us and how much apart, how much separateness is working. You know, I think that absence does make the heart grow fonder. So it's always nice when one person kind of goes away on a trip for the weekend and the other person stays and they get to, you know, you get to miss the person, you get to long for the person again, but what that looks like, it depends on the couple. And I do think that that is a worthwhile conversation for couples to have. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think it is individual independent and individual, as long as you're two independent people, I think coming together in a healthy way, it doesn't matter how much togetherness you have. And two independent people coming together. I think that needs to be translated and, and explained because, you know, we, we do live in a world right now where there's, is this sort of like toxic independence and I don't need anyone and whatnot. Mm. And that's not really actually making people happier. 
So I think that having your own independence means that you have a life outside of the relationship. You know, you have certain dreams, you have, you have other people other than your partner that you can go to for emotional support. And I think that those things are definitely important. Yeah. I definitely, yeah. I, yeah, I agree. It's so important to, to have that. And I do agree with that, that toxic positivity. We, I mean, society goes from one extreme to the next all the time, right? Yeah, like always. we go together and now we're, you know, being independent is so important in a way that we're almost pushing people yeah. away from us. Yes, exactly. Or we're coming into relationships, extremely selfish and self-absorbed. Mm, and that's going to definitely put a, a, a wrench in things. Yeah, absolutely. When you think about all of the relationship advice you've received over the years, what's the best mm-hmm. piece of relationship advice you've been given? Oh, God. That's a good question. Of the millions. <laughs> I know. Um, I mean, I've been given so much advice over the years. I remember like, you know, when I used to go like be boy crazy as when I was younger and I would like a guy and I would totally become obsessive. My mom would tell me to picture him on the toilet so that I could. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice mom. Very nice. (laughs) So that I can like, you know, take him off the pedestal and realize that he's actually a human being. Um, You know, the advice of the best, some of the best advice is always see your part. And there's always a part for you to see um, that it takes two. Mm -hmm. And that, um, you know, never let anyone treat you with disrespect. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are great pieces of advice for sure. And let's talk about that turning into settling piece, because Mm -hmm. I think that there's people out there who, who don't want to settle, but are settling. And are there signs to look for? How do I know I'm settling in my relationship? How do I know this is good as it gets, or if I'm actually supposed to start looking for something else? Well, for people who are dating, you're not settling if you go for the guy who's 5'10 when when you wanted a man who was six foot. Like that's where I actually want you to settle. I right. want you, I don't want I want you to like let go of those ridiculous standards and settle for the guy who's good looking enough, but is incredible person and inc- and you feel incredible when you're around them. So there's that. Um, and then we all settle on, on some level because there's, you know, there's no one, no one is perfect, right? So we're gonna have to sacrifice some of our preferences mm. in a relationship. There's so there's always gonna be a settling for like this, you know, this person's amazing, but they're a little sloppy. But I guess, you know, I that's something I can live with because the rest of it is just amazing. So in that way, you're kind of settling. So there's that. And then there's the settling because you're lonely, you're scared to be alone, and you are settling for someone who can't even meet your basic needs. You're settling for someone who you're just not that into, but they're good enough. And you're settling for someone who, or settling for someone who doesn't treat you well so mm-hmm. that you don't have to be alone. And that, and those are the things to really look out for. Yeah, settling for the person that all all my friends and my family really like this person, but I'm not sold as much as they are. Or I just don't, you know, so so much of it's an intuitive process. It's just like, I just, this does not feel right. It's not that it doesn't. And there's a difference between something feeling unfamiliar 
mm-hmm. and different from what you usually go to, because let's face it, a lot of people are not right about who they want to date. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have to really redefine their picker, but that's different than say being like this in my bones does not feel right. And you've got to right. listen to that. Yeah. How do you apply that to your life in dating? Do you find that you've got some pretty strict like boundaries and I know when I'm settling and I know when I'm not? Imagine like dating Jillian Tarecki is pretty, pretty much (sighs) a big deal. (laughs) No, I mean, look, you know, I don't, first of all, I don't bring like my coaching hat, you know, to my relationships. I'm very much the girl and the woman in the relationship and I'm, you know, vulnerable and all of that. But I will say that, um, yeah, I've, I'm very, very clear about um, what I want and what I don't want. And I'm very clear about the things that I would be willing to tolerate. And, um, and yeah, I, I have, um, I think the more that we know ourselves and the more that we can honor ourselves and our psychology, the easier it is for choosing people. And I'm just very, very clear about the kind of person I'm very clear about who is really bad for me. Mm. That may not be bad for someone else, but just is really bad for me. And so there's no part of me that's going to say, yeah, but I'm so attracted to them. That would have been something that I said years ago, but that's just Mm. not going to happen now. Like my priorities. And that's the thing about getting older. Your priorities get very, very straight and clear. Like you get your priorities straight, you get your priorities clear. You you like you recognize that life is short. You recognize that life is precious, and that um, the things that you used to find attractive is just really not that attractive anymore. And you know you you start to know what it is that you really want. Right. Yeah. You really do start to hone in on that. I love what you say when you get older because you do. I think when you get older, you start to to care a little bit less about all of those, those superficial things that we might've cared a lot Absolutely. at the beginning. Yeah. Early on. Start, I think your values change and they also become more defined and you realize that being with someone who um, gets you and is free and generous with their love is so much more valuable than you may have ever even realized it is Mm. really, really valuable. Um, And also I think that one thing that happens when you're older is that you don't like, if you don't have your life in order, like you would, that's like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's not, you know, at a certain age, you're like, if you don't, if you don't have like your ducks in a row, like if you don't have stability emotionally and financially, and I'm not talking about, you need to have a yacht and this and that, I'm just talking about stability there. Like, you know, when I was younger, it's like, oh, you're emotionally, first of all, like I said, I've been with some great guys, but I didn't think about these things. It's like, oh, you're emotionally unstable. That's okay. Like, oh, you don't have a pot to piss in. That's okay. We're going to work this out anyway. Like, Mm. that's just like, no, that's actually really not okay. (laughs) Right. You're almost like, you're you're almost signing up for their potential in a way, right? Absolutely. And it's just, again, it's your priorities are not straight. 
you have different priorities when you're younger. And a lot of people are in their adult years still having priorities that they had when they were teenagers. And it's time to, if you want happiness and you want a relationship that's going to be long-term, you have to change some things in the way that you prioritize. Yes. Yes, you do. And be open to that. And on that communication piece, you know, yeah. be okay, t- okay with being open with your partner because you really, there's nothing, there's something more sexy to me anyways, than a man who is willing to be like, you know what, I'm going to meet you there. Let's do the work on this together. Cause I want this yeah. to work. Yeah. It's fantastic. That is yeah. really sexy by the way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> and, and I don't think that, you know, I don't think that not a lot of men do that. I think that they do. I think there actually are men out there who are willing to look at the relationship and do the work too. Yeah. But that means to the women or the men who want to have to stop dating the, the immature ones who don't. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Draw the line, draw the line for yourself, ladies. Yes. Um, thank you, Jillian. This was such a pleasure chatting with you. And I just, I love this conversation. Of course I could talk about relationships all day, all day long. Um, can you just tell everyone where they can find you, how you work, what you offer, people? Yeah. So um, basically, if you know my first name, Jillian Tarecki, you will find me on Instagram. You will find my website, which has a bunch of courses, plus a membership for women only called the Conscious Women, where uh, there's a uh, it's a global community of women who are working on their relationship with themselves and others. And it's very interactive. And there's tons of, of tons of self-led content in there. And um, I have my podcast, Jillian on love. And I basically am able to take um, stuff that I cover on Instagram and go a lot deeper. Mm -hmm. Which is fantastic. You guys should all go over there and, and take a listen because it really, truly is amazing. And you're on Instagram at Jillian Jarecki. Yes. Yes. And, and Twitter, all, all the places you can find me. All the places. Well, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being here with us. It was such a pleasure to finally meet you. Thank you. My pleasure is all mine. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce. We hope Cindy and her guests were able to put your mind at ease and help you make the right decision for your marriage. We wish you a beautiful week.